Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business as People podcast. Joe, welcome back. Today's topic is something that's hot and it's going to be hot for quite some time. And I think it was hot even before it became hot. <laughs> um, you know, so Joe Kundal is the partner at LeadShift and what his organization and firm does is they're helping leaders build organizations that they envision. So welcome back, Joe. Thank you, Com. It's great to be back. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to jump into this topic because as you know, this topic has been getting hot for a while. And I think what we're seeing more than anything right now is it's kind of boiling over a little bit in terms of the impact that it's having. So I'm happy to start wherever you want to start today. Well, the topic, I mean, to its core, right? It's retaining recruiting. Some people call it the great resignation, but it's still people problems, right? So what we want to help everyone understand and maybe try to pinpoint where's the problem happening? How can we fix it? How do we get the right people? How do we get our leadership team to help the organization? Or do we have the right leader? But I'll turn it to you, Joe. Yeah, and no, I appreciate that, Colin. And I, I think what you talked about earlier is so important, which is root cause, right? You hear this term a lot, the great resignation, which is talking to the fact that either new employees are not sticking around very long in the roles they're in, even when they're well-paid, they have all the flexibility they want to work remotely. They have what seems to be really the ability to almost sculpt and create the ideal job for themselves. And then they're walking out the door. So I think a lot of organizations are scratching their head and saying, why is this happening? And then on the flip side of it, to something you and I were talking about earlier, you have people that have been with organizations for a long time that aren't in what we'd call that typical retirement window, also thinking about walking out the door, making a late stage career change. And I think both of these things are leading to quite the head scratcher for a leadership of organizations across the board. And in our view, in our experience, when you start to look at things like benefits and compensation, the ability to work remote, you're really, in a lot of ways, probing at things that don't really move the needle, as opposed to thinking about the things that you can control and the things that, regardless of the environment, are always going to be at play. And we call these things the four forces of engagement. So you can see on the screen here, use a pretty simple visual to illustrate this. Every organization ideally would like to have what we call that want to culture, which is represented in the blue, meaning I have a workforce populated with people that bring their A game each and every day. Now, people are human beings, right? We're not cyborgs. We're not perfect, right? So we're all going to have our bad days. But by and large, we're looking to have an organization where people bring that discretionary effort, right? They do it because they want to do it, as opposed to having an organization where people just come in and punch the clock, right? They're coming in and just doing the bare minimum to get by. And that's not what creates organizational success. It's not what creates high engagement. And it's ultimately not what leads to high profitability, right? The other hidden ingredient here is how do I have a profitable organization that mitigates turnover, that optimizes performance on a per employee basis? And typically we find those more profitable organizations in the blue camp, right? As opposed to the pink camp here. So we want to talk about bringing it back to the things we can control, which are someone's work, right? How are we aligning them with the job that we're asking them to do? The leader, right? How are we leading people 
how are we motivating people? How are we engaging people? Have we built the right bench of leaders in the organization? Are current leaders prepared to do their job at a high level? Is the team operating at a high level, right? Whether it's a business unit or the senior leadership team or all the other teams in between. And lastly, have we created a culture that's sustainable and meaningful and connects with people? Out of these four, we find that the one that has always the most outsized impact on organizational performance is the leader, right? Because right back to what we were talking about earlier, are the leaders in our organization prepared to drive it to the next level and create connections with people? So they're gonna not only create a want-to culture today, but that's sustainable whether we go into the next downward economic cycle or we have another event <clears throat> like we had for the last two years that's beyond our control or we go into a climate where organizations have to pivot right regardless of what gets thrown at us are we staying strong in these four areas so that we can weather those things and keep people connected what are the common things i mean this topic has just been around so long leadership development you hear i mean you Everyone has a different methodology, but if you just get to the core of it, like what are some of the most popular findings and what are some suggestions to improve? Yeah, well, it starts with what do we want to help a leader to achieve? What are the measurables? What we start with is what are the core components of leadership intelligence? Because that's a pretty deep ocean when you start to jump in on the surface you know, it, it oftentimes just looks like someone's polished and they're intelligent and they're respected and people will follow them. But those are surface level things that are really more of a byproduct of, you know, what this person has and really possesses at their core. So the things that we find that contribute the most to overall leadership intelligence are first and foremost, someone's experiences. What have they been through, right? What are some of the L's they've taken along the way that have really helped them, that they've been able to learn from? What are some of the great experiences that have happened to them along the way that have inspired them and really given them a foundation for you know, wanting to repeat those experiences? So those leadership experiences cannot be overstated. They're extremely valuable. They're tougher to measure, but they're really important at the same time. Then we have IQ or someone's cognitive ability right? IQ is a combination of what someone can retain, what they can know and understand, and then of course, how fast they can process and problem solve. So ensuring that leaders are equipped from a cognitive level is really important because at the end of the day, you're going to have more responsibility as a leader. And more often than not, you're going to have less time to make great decisions that impact the business than you will as an individual contributor. So having the ability to do that in a shorter window of time is really critical. Then we have what are called behavioral drives. You're familiar with the work that we've done with tools like Predictive Index, for instance, really helping a leader understand what we call their leadership DNA. Leadership DNA comes in a lot of forms. We see great leaders that are built very differently from a drives perspective. And they have to lean into that, right? They have to own that. They can't try and be someone they're not from a drives perspective. Otherwise, they'll probably burn out. And last but not least, 
is emotional intelligence or EQ. We're finding more and more that organizations are not only interested in understanding what EQ is, but actually measuring it to give people data-driven insights into where they're strong, where they might need to improve. And there are tools out there that will actually allow you to directly measure someone's EQ, which is really helping you understand what the impact of their emotional response is having on their ability to lead and drive results. When you combine these four components of leadership intelligence and you articulate it and share it with leaders and give them the insights into themselves, you tend to find that you have leaders who are more self-aware. Until you have leaders who are more self-aware, they're not going to grow. They're not going to develop. They're not going to blossom into the leaders that you need them to be. So when you asked earlier, hey, what are some of the things that people should be looking out for and measuring? Leadership intelligence is a multifaceted system, and we need to be able to give leaders diagnostics on multiple levels so it can funnel into them becoming more self-aware so that they can be the best version of themselves for the organization. Do you feel when, you know, because you have leaders trying to help other leaders, right? Like, is there pushback on this? Like, what do you feel the trend is today? Is there like, embarrassment? Is there people afraid to get this assessment? Like what's going on? What we're finding today is the last two years has really exposed people who are either really in a good place and a strong place in terms of leadership intelligence, and then leaders who are really missing some of these components. So sure, right? You're going to have leaders who really push back You're going to have people who feel a little defensive or very defensive about having to go through an assessment process, particularly people who've been doing it for a while. They may look at you and say, well, geez, I've been leading for a long time. Why do I have to go through this now? And the answer is pretty simple, right? Just because you hold a leadership title doesn't mean you're succeeding. You go back to that have to and want to chart. Organizations are starting to collect more data and now they're turning around and showing it to leaders and all of a sudden they're sitting up and paying attention saying, maybe I'm not doing as great as I think I am, or, hey, maybe we as an organization or even me, myself, maybe we've developed some bad habits or some blind spots. What I'll tell you, Com, is that to mitigate that defensiveness or, you know, kind of lack of willingness to dive in, one of the best avenues that you can possibly go down is actually taking the time to collect and then share meaningful data with people. People respond to data a lot better than they respond to observation. So being able to marry your observation with data can really take some of that defensiveness away. It's not always gonna mitigate it. And the fact of the matter is you may have leaders in an organization who just don't possess the willingness, they don't have the self-awareness, they don't have the emotional intelligence to really wanna own it and dive in. But by and large, when you present people with data, they tend to look at it less as a subjective judgment and more of an objective opportunity, but it's all in the way that you frame it up. It's not perfect. The organizations that are ramping up the bravery meter to do it sooner are finding better results. The organizations that are not ramping up the bravery meter to do it are falling farther and farther behind day by day. Well, data-driven wise, Joe, like, do you guys 
see a difference between like younger leaders versus older leaders? Is there a gap? Is there a difference of one learns faster than others? One kind of has a higher EQ right out of the gate because of their age and their experience, right? Because as a leader, I might be thinking, okay, do I hire, you know, millennials now? Do I hire different types of leaders now who get it, who get what the world is today? Or do I train up my current leaders because I'm loyal? Yeah, so I think we'll start with the first question, right, which is really about the gap. And I'll go back to two things. One, in terms of the age gap, you're always going to have more opportunities to be stronger in the experience bucket the longer you do something. So if you were to level set a group of leaders and say they all share the same amount of emotional intelligence, still the older, more experienced leaders tend to have a little bit better response to things because they've had a chance to sand off some of those rough edges. But in a world where you can't level set emotional intelligence, we tend to find that people in general, whether they are older or younger with higher emotional intelligence levels, tend to have a stronger response to the idea of coaching or the idea of immersive leadership development. The key component we're finding that really matters more than anything is the last thing I mentioned on this slide, which is self-awareness. You know, people that are truly aware of where they're at and how they're being perceived by others are the ones that are gravitating more to and even really getting excited about leaning into this because it is an investment. You know, when you start to think about who can I not live without in terms of my leadership bench, whether it's my senior team or, you know, my entry-level leaders that are managing people at the ground floor, when I figure out who I can't live without, then I've got to think about what's it going to take to help them go from, you know, good to great or from where they're at right now to even better. So I don't know if that answers both of the questions, but I think I answered the first one. <laughs> You did. Yeah, because you have to look at, it's not the age. It's a lot of it comes down to the willingness, right? Yep. To do it. And that's not an age thing. I think that's just a person who's humble enough to be a learner all the time. You can be a learner as young. You can always be a learner as an older person. To make it real for you, we deliver 360 feedback to leaders all the time. We measure emotional intelligence and behavioral competencies of leaders all the time. I actually just went through myself a 360. So my team did a 360 on me and I, I took REQ assessment and I definitely have some gaps in there. So I would never sit here on a pedestal and say, oh, wow, because I help other leaders, right? I don't have my own things to work on. I'm sure my wife would look at my EQ report and confirm pretty much everything on there, but you got to be willing to learn. You got to be willing to take some of that tough love, right? Like you said, and be a little humble and have it be okay to have someone point out where some of those blind spots are, it's all going to be framed up as a growth and development opportunity. That's the key. So you're a sports guy. So what type of an analogy would you use here to hit it home for people who are on the fence? All right. So I'll use a golf analogy, right? Because you're a golfer and the sport seems to be growing. So more and more people seem to be into it. You can have a low handicap and still have a million blind spots. There are plenty of people who are scratch golfers and, or even 
you know, plus handicaps, right? Where they're shooting under par and their average round. And they're constantly looking for things they can clean up in their game. But they don't get cleaned up until they actually ask someone to help them. It's almost impossible to refine your game as a leader or an athlete alone. You hear about, you know, guys like Tiger Woods or guys like Kobe Bryant or think of the best of the best, right? They're working with coaches all the time. You know, Tiger has a swing coach constantly. Kobe had a shooting coach constantly, strength and conditioning coach constantly. These people were not at their level in terms of ability. One of the most fun things I get to do is work with people who I know are smarter than me, are wildly successful, and just help them get better, right? Because they're willing to sit down with me. They're not looking at me going, well, Joe, you haven't accomplished what I have. Of course I haven't right? My job as a leadership coach is to help you see some of the things that because you're going so fast, you probably can't see on your own and then give you practical, actionable ways to work on it and refine it. Even if that's something I'm working on and refining for myself, right? Think about the best coaches, usually not the best players, but what they are good at is building that partnership with the person they're working with and giving them really good raw feedback when they need it, but also not just leaving them there, but saying, here's how you might think about sharpening that up and fixing it. So the humility has to sit with the leadership development people too, right? Whether you're the sponsor or you're the coach, you got to be just as humble as the people that you're asking to put their development in your hands. It's a pretty big honor. It's also a massive responsibility. What I really like that you said was, you know, if you're not the best player but you still need the coach because you might be a phenomenal leader that doesn't mean you know how to teach other leaders because coaching Mm. is a completely different skill set the ability to coach and mentor like when sometimes people take the top salesperson and makes them a sales manager that's completely different and then sometimes they crash and burn you know i want to be mindful of your time joe we're kind of wrapping up here yeah no worries i think to that to that point why folks hire you know work with firms like yourself you know you at lead shift is because of that you guys have a formula, you have a process, you have a system of success to help leaders level up because you know how to. What's the last takeaway that you would like to share? I would say to, and I, you know, I want to say this directly, to look in the mirror and say it to myself and say it to my team and say it to the people that I have the privilege of working with, my clients, my mentors and coaches I've had, you got to be humble, right? I would say a lot of people have made a lot of money and been very successful. And the ones that get better and the ones that are constantly improving are almost always the most humble people in terms of knowing where they want to get to and the fact that they're not there yet. And if you can be just a little bit more humble tomorrow than maybe you were today, that's always going to create an opportunity to get better at one thing, right? Going back to the golf analogy, go back and make 10 more putts before you go home, right? Go back to the range and, you know, hit the flag stick a few times before you go home, right? With that seven iron or that, you know, five iron or whatever it is, because you're going to feel that much better the next day. You're going to be starting from a better place. So with leadership, if you can challenge yourself and be brave enough to maybe even say, hey, I would love to have my team do a 360 on me. I would love to look at an emotional intelligence assessment and see where I stack up, right? Be brave and be willing to go out there and get those insights 
because all it takes is getting better at one little thing as a leader. It can make a massive difference in terms of the team, the people that you're responsible for and your organization as a whole. Awesome. Thank you so much for your insights, Joe, and your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure. My honor, Tom. Thank you for having me. I'll have you back again, sure enough. All right, and then I, I look forward to us playing our golf game together and working on our our, our, yeah, you, of our game. You can point out my many flaws when we get out there because God knows I have plenty. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. Thanks. If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at or message me on LinkedIn.